Welcome to The Reload for Unconventional Leaders, the show dedicated to helping unconventional leaders kick ass in their careers while staying connected to the things that make their lives worth living. I'm your host, Sean Hansen. As a certified performance coach and special operations combat veteran, I work with corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and military special operations personnel to help them master their performance mindset by overcoming the hidden patterns and blind spots that subconsciously dominate their lives. Well, hello there. So we're back again. And thank you as always for joining in and taking the time out of your schedule to listen to the show. Today is probably going to be a little bit shorter than normal. We've had a a really good run of interesting guests and, and conversations and some longer episodes. And so today's probably going to be quite a bit shorter than that. But there was a conversation that I had recently with one of my clients that, I don't know, it sparked a little bit of an idea in terms of how people can better relate to some of these inner development concepts, and specifically how it is they want to incorporate this in actually changing their lives. I mean, it's all well and good to have the tremendous insights and to feel like You know, you've just been hit by 50,000 volts. But at the end of the day, we want real change to be cemented in your life. All the clients that I have, that's what they want for themselves. They don't hire me just because they want to feel good temporarily. So how do we get to a place where real behavior change happens? Before we go any further, I think it's probably a good opportunity to remind everyone that when I bring up these stories from conversations that I have with clients or, well, really anybody that's not a guest that, you know, is speaking for themselves, I always anonymize the person as much as I can. So um, sometimes he becomes a she and vice versa. Sometimes it stays the same. You never know. So just always bear that in mind whenever I bring up one of these stories. Now, as you may have seen from the episode title, you know, what is what does debt reduction have to do with behavior change? So in my research, I went online and I'm, you know, a bit of a fan, I guess, of personal finance. And <laughs> I mean that's that sounds pretty lame as I say it out loud. But I, I like to stay informed on the financial independence retire early movement and especially more kind of the financial independence part of that. And naturally being debt-free is a component of being financially independent. And the way that my client was asking me questions, right? He he or she or it <laughs> has reached a place where she really wants to overhaul her life and she wants to get to a place where she really has good capture on what it is that needs to change and not just esoterically, not just from an understanding or awareness perspective, but where does it actually show up in her life? And she was asking for some guidance on how to make that happen. 
And there's this natural, um, what do I want to say here? This natural comparison point with two of the most common debt reduction strategies that are out there. So in order to make sure I didn't get it wrong, I hopped online and found obviously numerous sites that talk about these methods. And I think it, it's I think that it's worth having a bit of a discussion here to to lay out the foundations of how this debt these debt reduction strategies work so that we can then bridge that gap and talk about how it is that they feature in mindset mastery and behavior change. So I went to just randomly DaveRamsey.com. And for those who don't know him, Dave Ramsey is a very big proponent and at this point kind of celebrity in the debt reduction personal finance space. He's got a podcast, radio show, whole media outlet. I mean, he's, he's uh, as they say, kind of a big deal. So I'm, I'm not an advocate of Dave Ramsey. I'm not a, an opponent of Dave Ramsey. It was just well, basically the first thing that hit on Google. So in going to that website, and I'll link to this particular blog post in the show notes, he talks about, um, and this is a quote, paying off debt can be overwhelming. The right repayment method will give you a clear, easy to understand path to becoming debt free. There are two popular methods folks use to become debt free debt avalanche and debt snowball. And from there, the, the post continues to describe each method. So the debt avalanche, aka debt stacking, is where you pay off your debts in an order from the highest interest rate to the lowest, regardless of the balance due on any of those debts. Mathematically, that seems to make sense because the higher interest rate means that you're going to be paying more than you would uh, on a proportional basis. Now, obviously, like this is not a... <laughs> This is not a personal finance podcast, so we're just trying to stay very high level at uh, conceptual capture. Now, the debt snowball method is where you pay off your debts in order of the smallest to largest amount, regardless of what the interest rate is on any of those amounts. So again, just to recap, debt avalanche, you're going to stack everything in order of interest rate, debt snowball, you don't care about the interest rates, you're just going to go based off of the sum, the basically the principal amount of each of those debts, and actually start with the smallest one first. Now, both options, or with both options, you take the savings from paying off the previous debt and apply that to paying off the next debt. So in both cases, there is this virtuous cycle of kind of taking the gains and applying them in other parts of your debt life. And one thing that I should add that 
both the snowball method and the avalanche method or stacking method, one thing that both methods really advocate for is writing everything out, collecting all of your debts on one or two, I mean, basically in one place (laughs) so that you have clear visibility around, yeah, what, what does your debt picture look like? So as an analogous factor to today's conversation, writing out all the various issues that you experience, whether those issues are more on the tactical side or the transactional side, kind of that low-hanging fruit stuff, or whether it's the deeper issues, the things that are much more heart and soul oriented and much less scheduling and... um, productivity oriented. Not that those things aren't valuable. They are. They're deeply valuable. But in the long run, having a capture and having visibility on all the different things that are going on in your life, yes, I understand it can seem overwhelming. But until you actually map everything out, you don't have the ability to fully understand how these things are weighing on you, to fully understand how they are, in many cases, dragging you down. And whether that's a little bit of drag or a lot of drag depends on what's going on. But again, as in the personal finance space, writing this stuff down or writing it out, I should say, and getting clarity on what the list looks like will go a long way to helping you understand where you want to direct your attention. And then once you have that dialed in, then it's just a matter of understanding or determining how it is that you want to go about solving the issues. Okay, so now that we have those fundamentals in place, what does this have to do with mindset mastery and behavior change? Well, so when you look at these two methods... One method that, let's start with the avalanche. One method is mm, mathematically more effective, according to the pundits. In that, you are taking the area of biggest impact financially, and you're getting that squared away first. But, One of the criticisms that has been leveled against the stacking or avalanche method is that for many people, it feels very unachievable. Oftentimes, debts can be quite large, and so then people are in a position where they are chipping away, seemingly very slowly, at a debt that, while mathematically makes sense, in terms of the interest rate attached to it, they don't actually end up feeling like they're making any progress. And this is where the debt snowball method comes into play in that you are picking the lowest debt that you have in terms of just baseline amount. You're paying the minimums, and I should have said this earlier, in both methods you're paying the minimum amount on all the other debts you have, but you're focusing on one. It's just 
the angle of focus changes between each method. So with that snowball method, as I said, you're picking the lowest one and you're throwing everything you have against it except for the minimum payments on all the other stuff. Now, the folks at the Ramsey organization, they actually advocate for the snowball method more than the stacking or avalanche method. And the reason for that, in their view, is that psychologically, emotionally, it's much more achievable. If you had, for instance, a, I I don't know, a a $2,000 credit card debt, you would end up focusing on that debt, and let's just, for argument's sake, say that you could eliminate that debt within three months. Well, then the payments that would would have been going to that $2,000 credit card debt would then be applied to the next largest debt. And the folks at the Ramsey organization and other organizations as well, they say, or they believe, that from a psycho-emotional perspective, that this is more effective and actually leads to greater results, greater uh, accomplishment, I guess, in terms of debt reduction, specifically because you're kind of riding a wave of accomplishment. And we also see this similar idea in the productivity space. Some productivity experts say you should eat that frog, which is a reference to a, a, a book by, oh God, hold on, pausing. And we're back. So a nice quick consultation with the internet told us that it's Brian Tracy who wrote the book, Eat That Frog. And it's also a reference to a quote that is attributed to Mark Twain. And the idea being that if you do the hardest thing of your day first, then everything else will seem really easy. Again, it's just a way of kind of um, framing this in a way that has different contexts because different people respond to different things. But again, there are other productivity experts that suggest that you just want to get the ball rolling in getting things done. And if choosing the hardest thing of your day first is demoralizing, well, then that may not be the best place to start. So here we are. Two methods, one that focuses on looking at the hardest part of your life and getting that in order first versus picking low-hanging fruit and, as some might say, kind of getting rid of distractions. No one is going to be able to tell you what is the best method for you. But ultimately, it's the process of asking yourself how it is that you tend to respond best. So foundationally, if you're working with a coach or a therapist or uh, you're just doing a bunch of reading on your own or however it is that you're pursuing inner development, you will undoubtedly eventually come across situations in your life that you want to change, whether that's relationships, whether that's no debt, (laughs) 
or whether it's some other aspect of your belief structure, you're going to find places where you want to make real change. So in looking at that, how do you tend to respond best? Do you tend to respond best when you can get some momentum going? And where having some victories or having some wins on the board is something that's going to be really helpful for you in terms of sustaining that momentum? Or are you the type of person who, after very careful analysis, prefers to dig into the hard stuff first? Because you know that that will have the biggest impact on your life. So how might this play out from a coaching perspective? Well, one thing that you could see as just an example is let's say somebody has mm, some trouble showing up to appointments on time or commitments that they've made with friends or associates. And that's one set of issues, just kind of generally being late. They don't really feel any particular deep emotional impact around it. They just kind of know that they're always just kind of running behind. Now, clearly we could dive into whether they're overscheduling as an attempt to avoid looking at certain things, but for argument's sake, let's just say that there's really nothing um, psychologically scarring about this. They just tend to run late. So it's something that is more external, that is more tactical and could be cured with some work around maybe setting some alarms, setting some buffer time in their schedule, etc., etc. Something that we might put into the low-hanging fruit category. Now, with this same person, let's say that one of their other issues is a highly toxic relationship that implicates a lot of issues around their self-worth. And feeling like they're not valuable and feeling like they don't deserve to be respected or they don't deserve to be treated in a manner that is loving and respectful and kind and you know mutually supportive. So the way that I've teed these things up is intentionally very clear that one is lighter and the other is a lot heavier. So in that scenario, if you could put yourself in that person's shoes for a moment, and if you recognize instinctively that you tend to gravitate towards one of those problem sets in terms of what you think that person should do, that would inform you significantly as to what your default setting tends to be whether you're a person who prefers to get that momentum rolling and yeah, maybe you get some of the distraction stuff out of the way in terms of being better about scheduling time, figuring out that you do need to buffer your schedule a little bit so that you can leave earlier, et cetera, et cetera. Or whether you want to dive into the, the darkness, so to speak, and to really tackle the issues that in the long run will have significantly greater impact 
on your ability to live a life that is deeply rewarding and fulfilling. But again, no coach, no therapist, no guru, nobody can tell you that one is better than the other. It is truly a scenario where experimentation and self-reflection will go much further than listening to a quote-unquote expert. And I don't mean that in the sense of that they're not an expert. I mean, they might be, but ultimately this is your experience. So figuring out for yourself what kind of uh, problem-solving solution set you're looking for and what you will actually carry out in the most effective manner possible is going to be to your benefit. So I hope that helps. Um, Just like I said, a really quick conversation today. Just wanted to get this, this framework out in front of you to help you better understand how it is that you can begin to affect real behavior change. As always, you know, I'm really hoping that these conversations challenge you and that they inform you and that they help you start up conversations with people in your life so that you and those people you care about can really level up together. You know, a lot of times when I work with a client, they'll make tremendous gains, but then oftentimes it seems like they're not really bringing their core circle with them, whether that's a partner, best friends, parents, etc. So, you know, the ability to share this with people that you believe would benefit from it is part of the intention. And to be able to get to a place where it can serve as a spark for a deeper conversation in your life. So until next time, take care of each other.